Let us pray together. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, I ask that you would be with us today. And I pray in particular that your Holy Spirit would come and be with me, my Father, that, that I would have the words that you want me to speak today, that you would put them in my mind, my Father, even beyond anything I may have prepared. I pray you to have the last say and the last word in all that goes on today, Father. I, I pray that you would guide me, Lord, and that you would guide your word into all our hearts. I pray this in the name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles, please, uh, to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark. Uh, you have Bibles in front of you. Um, uh, you can use your insert, but I'm going to be showing you some things that are around the passage that we're going to be dealing with. So it'd be good if you, uh, if you have your Bible with you as well. And we're going to be uh, looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Chapter 8. And we are beginning this morning uh, the second full week of Lent. Uh, this, this morning, Sunday, second Sunday of, of Lent. And so we're beginning the, the full second week of Lent. And, and all during Lent, we're going to be traveling with Jesus uh, from Jerusalem, uh, or rather from the area of Galilee toward Jerusalem and toward the cross. That's what Lent does. Lent asks us to accompany the Lord toward his journey to the cross. In a way, we are going from Epiphany through Lent and unto Holy Week. And that's the journey that we are in uh, with our Lord. Now, one of the things I want to show you that I think is of some importance is that the passage that I'm going to be dealing with today is preceded, immediately preceded, by the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Christ. Just before the passage we're dealing with today, uh, Peter has had a special revelation from God, and even Jesus tells him in the other passages, what you have just confessed didn't come to you from man, but it came to you from God, from above, from the Lord. And so he confesses when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And he makes that strong confession, uh, the likes of Peter, rush and, and energetic and, and convicting. And, and, uh, and so he makes that, uh, that confession, you are the Messiah, uh, the Christ. Uh, it is after this very confession of Peter that everything changes in, in the Gospel of Mark, and in fact, in all of the Gospels. Uh, right after this confession, there is a dramatic change uh, in the traveling destination of Jesus. Jesus had been going around in all of the cities of Galilee, and even outside the city of Galilee, to Caesarea Philippi, to Sidon, to Tyre, to all that area. And the moment Peter makes that confession, you are the Messiah, the Christ, Everything changes. 
and Jesus begins to look only toward Jerusalem. In fact, if we, if we read the, the whole chapter 8 and in the following chapters, he leaves that whole area of Caesarea Philippi, and he does a very quick stop in Capernaum, and then he crosses the Jordan to the east because he didn't want to go through Samaria, and he starts the journey traveling back to Judea, and eventually will enter Judea through Jericho and then cut west again, again cutting over the, the Jordan River. But the moment that Peter makes this confession, there is a dramatic change in destination, there is a dramatic change even in the tone with which Jesus began to teach. There's a change that occurs. Right, that was just before the passage is the confession that he's the Messiah. And right after the passage, right after the passage that we're dealing with, is the transfiguration of Jesus in Mount Hermon. When Jesus goes out to pray with, with three of his disciples, Peter and John and James, and all of a sudden uh, the, the likeness of Jesus is transfigured like never before. The glory that is his just shines through everything, right through his flesh. And Peter has this, and the others have this tremendous uh, vision of who Jesus is. Then all of a sudden... Uh, all of a sudden, you, you get uh, Elijah and Moses uh, appearing to him. And then there is the voice of the Father that rings out when Peter begins to say, let us build three booths up here, one for Jesus and one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, and I think it's very, very telling that the Father says in Mark, he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then he says, listen to him. And to me it's very telling in Mark because of where Mark places this. And remember I said that the confession is before the passage I'm going to deal with today. And the transfiguration is after. The passage that I'm dealing with today is when Peter gets unhappy with Jesus and rebukes him for saying what he said. And now the Father speaks to them, to Peter and the other, and he says, listen to him. Okay, to me that's very telling. It's like Peter, stop objecting to what Jesus is saying. Stop bringing your own agenda into this business because you don't have much to do with it. It's my plan. My son is going to accomplish it. And you listen to him. Stop objecting. Stop rebuking him. Stop opposing him. So for me, that is very, very telling how Mark places these words of the Father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, the journey of Jesus toward Jerusalem was in order to fulfill his messianic destiny. You can't call Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, and not have him fulfill 
what it meant for him to be Messiah. Peter and the others had their idea of what messianic title implied. God had a different intention for what Messiah would be. For Peter and the others to be the Messiah was to bring the glory of God, was to bring the victory of God, was that once the Messiah showed up, the Romans were going to be running away, the kingdom of God would be established. The Jews again will be placed as, as uh, in an important position. God would manifest himself when God's messiahship of Jesus was that he would suffer and die. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to fulfill his father's idea of messiahship. Of what it meant to be the messiah, his messianic destiny, what it meant to be the Christ. The thing for us to understand is that Jesus' journey is our journey. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and not go where Jesus goes. That's not authentic discipleship, and we're going to be talking about authentic discipleship today. The journey of Jesus, the destination of Jesus, is our journey, and it's our destination. Otherwise, we are not his disciples. We may be companions, but we are not his disciples. Jesus' journey is our journey. Jesus' consequences of being Messiah is our consequences of being his disciples and identifying ourselves with him as the Christ and the Lord. Jesus' glory is our glory. But our glory cannot come without the fulfillment of what it meant to be Messiah and dying for the sins of the world. This is the first of three times that Jesus announces that he's going to suffer. The first one is here in chapter 8. The second one occurs in chapter 9. And the third one occurs in chapter 10. And all three times that Jesus announces that he is going to go to Jerusalem and there he would be betrayed by the scribes and Pharisees and the elders and the religious leaders and that he would be rejected and that he would be murdered or crucified or killed and on the third day rise again. All three times that he makes that announcement, there is a reaction from the disciples. And all three times... Jesus corrects the human reaction of the disciples and teaches all three times about what authentic discipleship really meant. In this chapter, in chapter 8, when Jesus does the first announcing, of course, Peter rebukes him. Okay, Peter rebukes him, and Jesus begins to teach them about taking your cross and following me and be willing to sacrifice. The second time that Jesus teaches about his martyrdom, 
the disciples begin to argue among each other as to what it means to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus immediately corrects that and begins to teach him about humility. In the third situation in chapter 10, where they, where Jesus again announces it, then John and James come and they make the request that one would sit at the left side and the other at the right side. And Jesus immediately corrects that and says, authentic discipleship is not about you, it's about serving others. So Jesus, for Jesus, authentic discipleship, authentic followers of Jesus implied these three marks. Sacrifice, humility, and servanthood. Sacrifice, humility, and servanthood. Because a disciple can never be greater than his master. And if Jesus came to sacrifice everything, the disciple that followed him authentically needed to learn to sacrifice everything. And if Jesus humbled himself and humiliated himself in becoming a man, the disciple of Jesus needed to learn humility like him. And if Jesus came to serve others, a disciple of Jesus needs to learn how to serve others and not himself. So being an authentic disciple of Jesus implied that we become copies of our Lord. That we become imitators of our Lord. That whatever our Lord is must be visible in us. And therefore all three times that he announces his death, he brings on a teaching on what does it mean to be an authentic follower one that is so close to Jesus that all that oozes out of Jesus is caught by us. And we begin to look like him and speak like him and act like him. That is authentic discipleship. The three marks of the disciple that I can tell from this is sacrifice, humility, and servanthood. First, let's take a look at what Jesus says and the announcement that he makes and what happens. Jesus makes a prophetic announcement because it is prophetic. Jesus is announcing something that hasn't yet happened. He knows he came to die. He knows that he's going to Jerusalem and to the cross. The disciples don't. So he makes a very prophetic announcement. He says in chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, The Son of Man, meaning him, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. And then Mark adds, he spoke this word openly or clearly. 
There was no ambivalence of what he was talking about. There was no misinterpretation of what he was talking about. And this was a radically new announcement. Jesus had not spoken like this before. This was radically new announcement and the disciples were not ready to receive it. The disciples were not ready to receive this announcement. And the reality is that neither are we. Neither are we. We take for granted this idea that Jesus died for my sins and that all I have to do is go to the cross and at the cross all the victories won and the blood of Jesus washes me and all of those things. But we, we have not caught the full impact that the Son of God comes into the world, humiliates Himself, submits Himself to rejection, to abuse, to nailing on a cross because of you and because of me. Because of the sins of the world. We speak about the cross so much and, and, and study so much about the cross that somehow at times the cross loses the sting of why Jesus had to be killed and murdered. Why the sacrifice? Because the love of God was so tremendous for you and for me that he gave his son to die for our sins. For Peter and the others, it was difficult to conceive that the Messiah would go through this thing that Jesus is talking about. Their, their idea of Messiah was that the Messiah was going to conquer. The Messiah was going to enter into Jerusalem and the disciples behind him marching to take over Jerusalem, expel the Romans and, and, and impart and, and, and implement the rules of the kingdom and establish the kingdom that would spread through all the world and nobody would mess with the Messiah. And they were going to be part of it. All of a sudden Jesus is talking about dying and sacrifice and murder and they don't know how to take that. And neither do we at times. In the book uh, that I'm reading that I told you about, Churchless, one of the things that, that Barna says in the book is that in reality there's very little difference between the church and the unchurched. That there's very little difference. The reality is that the church and the unchurch all want the same thing. We all want peace in our lives. We all want to, to, to accomplish our goals. We all want to live in joy. We all want happiness. We all want success. We all want success. We all want everything the same. We're not that different. We just come to it differently. And the reality is, that the behavior of believers at times in the attempt to earn these things sometimes is not very different from the unchurched. And we're not showing the authenticity of being disciples of Jesus Christ. And so for Peter, it was a, a heavy thing to receive what Jesus was saying, but it wasn't impossible for him to understand it what was impossible for him was to conceive of it. To him it was inconceivable. 
inconceivable that the Jewish Messiah, the prophesied anointed one of God, would come to die. It was clear that that's what Jesus said. He just couldn't receive it. And so Peter, with very strong words, tells Jesus and begins to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine? He begins to rebuke Jesus right there in front of all the disciples. Why? Well, for one thing, it didn't fit his confession that Jesus was the Messiah. It didn't fit his idea of what Messiah was all about. But number two, that's the wrong way of starting a movement. If we're going to have a movement that is going to go all over the world and establish the kingdom of God, this is not the way, Jesus. You don't start with killing the leader. In other words, Jesus, who's going to join us now? Who's going to join us when you're talking about being rejected and crucified and and killed and, and all of these things? Jesus, this doesn't fit what we think this is going to happen. It just doesn't fit. Who will follow us now, Lord? Who will follow us now? Who will believe that you are the Messiah that I just announced? Don't scare us like that, Lord. The thing is that the plan of God sometimes eludes the understanding of man. The plans of God can be so different from any conception of our own of how things should be. The plans of God are greater than the greatest plan, conceived plan of man. What Peter was unconsciously saying to Jesus was, Jesus, don't fulfill what the Father has sent you to do. I don't think he was fully aware of what he was saying when he rebukes Jesus. But in fact, what Peter, one of the things that is happening is that all of a sudden, there is a turnaround in leadership of the group. Peter now tells Jesus what is supposed to happen. Peter's the one now that is going to dictate the plan. Peter's the one that tells now Jesus to correct himself. There is a, it's like a takeover from Peter in, in leadership, telling Jesus what to do. And in a way, he's telling Jesus to do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. To question the word of God, to question the plan of God, and to do it their way, their plan. But we're not that different from Peter, are we? Because we do the same thing that Peter does whenever we read scripture and say, no, not that one. Nope, that one's too hard. Nope, I'm not going to follow Jesus in this direction. Whenever we read the Bible and we start objecting to the obedience that it calls us to, or the direction that it calls us to, we're not doing anything different than what Peter is asking Jesus to do. 
We're telling God that our plan for our lives is greater, better than His plan for our lives. And that's what Peter is doing. And that's what you and I do whenever we don't fully give ourselves to obedience to the Word of God. We start being the ones that chooses what is divine and not divine, what is holy and not holy, what is to be obeyed and not obeyed. We still have this sense in us that we have control. When we don't, not if we are authentic disciples. A disciple follows, a disciple doesn't lead the Lord or questions the Lord, a disciple simply says, Yes, sir, when do we start? So we're not that different from what Peter's conception is all about. But one of the things that happens right away is that Jesus rebukes Peter back and puts him back in the rank of disciple, in front of all the disciples. Jesus turned around, looked at the disciples, and immediately said to Peter, Get away from me, Satan! For you are not in the interests of God, but the interests of men. And it's not so much that Jesus was calling Peter Satan, as much as he was recognizing who was behind Peter's whole objection to to Jesus' messianic fulfillment. He knows it. It's the same old serpent. It's the same old enemy of God who is intended to use Peter in his humanity in his own conception of what is right and wrong to derail the plan that God has laid out for his son and his son obediently came to fulfill. So he calls him right back to the ranks with these very strong words. And there are times Satan plays with us the same way. Jesus' sacrifice meant that he came as Messiah to fulfill the plan of God. And it is our plan and it is our discipleship call to fulfill the plans that Jesus has laid out for us. The second thing that that we need to look at is, is what Jesus says about authentic discipleship. Jesus says in verse 34, right after he rebukes Peter, he says to this, he says to, to, to the disciples and to us what authentic discipleship is about. He says, if you really are my disciple, whoever decides to come after me, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what authentic discipleship looks like. Deny self, take up your cross, and follow me. The reality is that to be a Christian, to, to be a Christian, it takes courage. To be an authentic disciple of Jesus in this world, it takes courage and it takes sacrifice. I've often said to you, and I will never be tired of saying it, and I don't know if you believe me or not until you really try to live an authentic Christian life, 
that Christianity is not for cowards. Christianity is not for cowards. Christianity asks of us things that are so contrary to what our nature tells us is normal. Christianity calls us to sacrifice. It calls us to serve those people that we sometimes don't want to serve. It calls us to forgive sins that we do not want to forgive in our own self-righteousness. It calls us to turn the, the other cheek and allow somebody to hit us again. It calls us to do things that are radically different than the teachings of the world. And to be a Christian, a true disciple of Jesus... It takes courage, it takes valor, it takes commitment, and it is not for cowards to really live the Christian life. The problem is that sometimes what we see that we live out there is not authentic discipleship. And sometimes it's compromised. But to be a true disciple of Jesus, you need a courage that only the Holy Spirit can can literally give to you. It is a sacrifice. It is a surrender. It is a giving up of so many things that in our estimation is of great value in our lives. And that's not for cowards. For people of valor to truly live the way that Jesus lived. It takes a change of direction from self-focused to kingdom-focused. From self-focused to kingdom-focused. Listen to this. Uh, In order to say yes to God, a disciple has to say no to self and to so many other things. In order for you to say yes to God fully, unashamedly, uncompromisingly, you're going to have to say no to so many temptations and so many things and so many pleasures and so many self-centered ways. A no to self-worship so that we can fully worship the one through God. Not just in word, not just in song, but in deed. Every day, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. To say no to self-worship, so that we can worship the one who truly deserves all the worship in heaven and on earth. In order to say yes to God, we have to learn to say no to many things. To set aside many of our agendas, as valuable as they are, personal agendas, family agendas, business agendas, all kinds of agendas. And I'm not saying that these agendas and these duties and these responsibilities need to be thrown away. We cannot throw away our family relationships or our family uh, responsibilities. We cannot throw away our business responsibilities. We cannot throw away our personal responsibilities, but they must all be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They need to be moved to second place. They need to be moved to second place so that the worship of God, the service of God, 
and the following of Jesus becomes the number one most important thing in our lives. Everything else in life needs to come second. As important as it is, and it is very important, I have a family responsibility as much as any one of you. I love my family passionately, as you all know. But the reality is that for me to follow Jesus, I have to say no to some things in my life. Personal and otherwise. That's what it means to be an authentic disciple of Jesus. I'll let you read the end of the chapter or the end of the passage. But Jesus basically says that if anyone in an attempt to save their lives rejects him, will lose their lives in the long run. But the whoever loses their life for his kingdom and the gospel will gain it for eternity. And that in fact to reject Jesus and his words and ignore him, it's, it's, it's the same as being ashamed of him. And if we are ashamed of him on this, in this life, he will be ashamed of us before the angels of heaven. We're talking about a serious business of whether we are true disciples or we're not. Let me finish this teaching, this sermon, with some application. Something that, that we can apply to our lives. The first thing I want you to realize is that being obedient to Jesus immediately puts you in the midst of spiritual warfare. That's the first thing we need to understand and learn from this passage. The moment Jesus was confessed the Messiah, and he decided to start going to Jerusalem, Satan showed up and used Peter to try to derail the whole plan of God. You cannot decide to be an authentic disciple without getting involved right away into some form of attacks, some form of, uh, of spiritual warfare. We do not battle flesh and blood, says Paul. We battle spiritual forces in the heavenly places. But they show up through human beings who challenge us, who want to change our plans. And who want to oppose and tempt us so that we don't fulfill our calling as authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. We will immediately be involved. You'll receive more temptations the moment you receive Jesus than ever in your life. The first thing we learn here is that spiritual warfare is not too far from the true believer and from the true follower of Jesus Christ. It's going to be natural. To encounter an enemy who wants to oppose you. So that's the first thing. And if you're going to be strong against the devil, against his temptations, against his plans, against all these things, you have to daily put on the armor of God and take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, I believe. You need to read that. You need to arm yourself because this is a battle. This is not time for peace yet. Peace will come when we're in the presence of the living God. Right now the church is at battle with an enemy that wants to derail the plan of God and oppose the kingdom in this world. So first of all, that's what I want to give you as application. Second thing I want to tell you is that if you want 
and you are willing to go to heaven with Jesus, you have to be willing to go to the cross with him here on earth. You can't have the good part and leave the cross away. The glory comes with the cross, and the cross leads to the glory. If you want to be with Jesus forever, you have to be a disciple here on earth, right now, while you have the chance. He's going to the cross. Are we willing to go with him and crucify many things in our lives, including ourselves? Faithfulness in the wilderness leads to glory in heaven. Let me tell you another thing. I hope you understand this. Your discipleship, your discipleship will never rise above your heart for God. If your heart is not fully and completely committed to God, your discipleship will be weak. If your heart is not fully surrendered fully submitted, fully open to God to reign completely, to, for Him to say the word and your job is to obey. If your heart is still resistant to the word of God, your discipleship will be that weak too. Your discipleship will never rise above your heart for God. Discipleship is more than learning the Bible. Discipleship is more than reading the Bible, studying the Bible, listening to sermons, and saying, I'm being discipled. Discipleship about doing the Bible. It's about repeating the things that Jesus did. It is about copying Him. It is about imitating Him. It is about identifying yourself with Him. And let me tell you, there are people around the world today dying literally because they're believers. The 21 Orthodox Egyptians, Coptics, that were just beheaded just simply because they're followers of Jesus... The 100 or so Assyrians that were captured just, just last week in, 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 in uh, Syria by ISIS that we don't know yet whether they're going to survive or not, solely because there's Assyrian Christians. Talking about giving sacrificially, these people are giving their lives because they follow Jesus. We haven't been asked to do that yet. But there's many things in our lives that if we don't learn to sacrifice today, we will never be able to sacrifice later. Our call is to follow Jesus and to follow him closely. Our call is to, is to follow Jesus in such a way that every syllable that comes out of his lips goes into our hearts. That we don't have to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand, I was entertained over here, or I was too far to hear. To be an authentic disciple is to so capture all that Jesus was about, that we begin to do it ourselves. That we preach what he preached, 
that we do what he did and that we go where he goes. That's authentic discipleship. Jesus didn't come to entertain us or didn't come just to do the whole work himself. Jesus came to show us a way because the church has a job yet to do. This world still not in the full uh, kingdom of God. And the church is given the responsibility as disciples of Jesus, authentic disciple in a world that don't always see authentic discipleship to you in, to see in you and in me what it really means to follow Jesus Christ. And it will take the denial of self, the taking of your cross, whatever that cross may be. By the way, my cross may be totally different than your cross. But we're all going the same direction. We're going to Calvary with Jesus. We have to take our cross and we need to follow him. That is the first teaching of Jesus. Authentic discipleship will call you to sacrifice. And it won't be easy. And sometimes it'll be hard, but not harder than our brothers and sisters are going through in the world. So I'm calling you to arm yourself with the, uh, with the weapons at your disposal for battle. I'm calling you to surrender your heart completely so that your discipleship is led by a surrendered heart. I'm calling you to the marks of discipleship, sacrifice, humility, and service of others. I'm calling you to an authentic, authentic expression of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If there's one season of the church where we need to really focus on this, is the season of Lent. So I'm asking you to listen to Jesus, not to me. My words are just human words. I'm just repeating what Jesus said. Whoever wants to come after me needs to self-sacrifice, deny, deny self, take the cross, and follow him. He's going to glory, but through the cross. That is authentic, authentic, real discipleship. Stand with me, please.